Welcome to Women in Chemicals, Woman of the Week. I'm Amelia. And I'm Kylie, and we're joined today by Rena Tabal, Director of Product Management for FinTech and Blockchain at Blue Palette. Hi, ladies. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Today's episode is sponsored by Blue Palette, one of our corporate sponsors. Blue Palette is the market network platform for chemical commerce that helps you connect and communicate with the market from one-to-one to one-to-many. Blue Palette helps you navigate the fast-moving market by nurturing your current client relationships and securely expanding your reach. Quickly and fully vet trade partners, identify new opportunities, and swiftly adapt to market changes. Go to bluepalette.io to schedule a demo today. And we also have a very special offer from our Blue Palette partner for our Women in Chemicals community. So if you create an account and post to Blue Palette's wanted board listing page, you will receive a $250 credit to use on the platform, and they will match that amount as a donation to Women in Chemicals. It's free to sign up. Buying chemicals for a good cause has never been easier. Perfect. Thanks, Amelia and Reina. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, Want to jump kind of right into it and let you introduce yourself to our community. So um, if you could please tell us about your background and how you got into your current role. Sure. Yeah. So for everyone who doesn't know me, my name is Reina Tabal. I'm the director of product management, uh, fintech and blockchain technologies. I've actually been with blockchain, um, or sorry, with Blue Palette for like a year and a half now since March 2021. And before that, I actually used to work in the financial services industry for about 10 years. Um, I had many roles at the big banks in Canada and the UK, uh, but most of my time was actually spent in the risk management space. So um, effectively, my roles covered assessing and mitigating risks against financial crimes activities like money laundering, terrorist financing, fraud, things of that nature. So my roles primarily covered business advisory. I did a little bit of consulting, um, and then I also was an internal auditor for a few years. Um, just assessing the controls that the banks had for mitigating those activities. And, you know, it sounds like a very interesting space and it really is. And it's why I stayed in it for a very long time. But as I progressed in my career at the banks, I realized that um, it did feel like I was a cog in a huge system. Obviously, these banks are massive, um, upwards of like 80 to 90,000 employees, depending on which bank you work in. And I decided that the culture wasn't really for me anymore. Um, So during COVID, I made a pivot and I went uh, into a completely different direction. I resigned uh, my banking career and I took a course in fintech and it was actually doing coding and Python programming. Um, And it also covered topics like data science, uh, machine learning, and also blockchain. So that was something I entered into just based on kind of personal passions that I had at the side. Um, And I came across Blue Palette by chance, actually, I have to think back to it. There were a few companies I was looking at and Blue Palette at the time, they didn't have a formal website or any marketing materials out there because they were fairly new in the space um, into launching the platform. So 
when I had met with um, Alyssa McKinley, who's our head of people today, she was the one that really sold me on it um, because I didn't know what it was. Uh, I didn't know anything about the chemical industry. My background is obviously primarily financial services. Um, it was through that conversation uh, with her where she kind of walked me through what they were trying to do and kind of the culture that uh, had me really bought in. And, and that's how I found out about Blue Palette. So it really was purely by chance. Wow, that's such an interesting story. And it's so cool that you took the leap, I mean, during COVID to resign from your position and make that decision to, to take courses and self-educate and kind of pivot your career whichever way you wanted to take it. Um, to me, that sounds kind of scary. <laughs> and I, I think I, I, I commend you for taking that jump. And maybe as a, a follow-up question to your story, Rena, can you tell me about how you felt when you decided to kind of resign and take that leap? Was it something that was, you know, was it scary for you or was it motivating for you? Can you tell us how you felt? Yeah, it definitely was scary. Um, I can, you know, I'll be completely transparent with you. I was not happy in the role that I was in. Um, and it was a pretty big role. I was managing a large team of people. And I think it's a bit tricky when you're managing a team and you're accountable for their success. If you're not completely bought into the culture, it's really difficult to fake that. Um, and to also, you know, you're mentoring these individuals. And so I had a really hard time day in and day out, just kind of speaking on behalf of the company and having a sense of pride working for the company. And that's when I knew that I had to change it because you can quite often read the expressions on my face and know if I'm happy or not, which is, it could be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on who you're talking to. So it, it was a hard decision. And I was afraid of, you know, would I find another job? Would I be successful pivoting and doing something different? It took me a good, I want to say like four to six months before I made the decision. And I, I spoke with, you know, my mentors, I spoke with friends, family, um, so it wasn't something I did on a whim. Um, I definitely put a lot of thought into it. And then obviously, you know, in the event that you don't get a job at a time frame like COVID, you have to make sure, you know, financially that you're able to sustain yourself. So it was a long thought process. A lot of people in my life weighed in um, to help me decide. But looking back on it now, would I do it again in a heartbeat? Yes, if I was ever in a position like that again. And so I would encourage people to do the same if, you know, you're in a job that you don't like. It takes up the majority of your time. So you want to be happy. And I think people can can see that in you if you're not happy in a role. I really resonate with that. I think we talked about this recently in another Woman of the Week interview, or maybe even a Generation Female panel about how as a manager of people, your passion and your kind of buy-in with the company culture and their mission and values it really carries through in your your team members or the employees that report to you. And so um, that's such an interesting take and perspective on your feedback and how your experience was. So Rena, the next question I have for you is, um, with your experience in the banking sector and most of your career now in the chemicals industry, um, we can kind of make assumptions a little bit here about how historically these industries have been largely male dominated. Um, how have these industries been similar and how have they been different in your experience so far? And have you felt supported by these professionals? Have you felt supported in these environments as well? 
Yeah, that's a good point, Kylie. I think I would have said like five, 10 years ago, the financial industry is definitely male dominated. I think thankfully, you know, I've had a lot of ex great experiences and opportunities um, in the banking sector. And honestly, I had a lot of really intelligent, um, strong, fearless female leaders. So I think I was a bit shielded from some of the challenges that people might face um, traditionally in the space. So it, it's tough for me to say because I, I know, you know, on paper, or according to the stats, it is male dominated, but I never actually witnessed any of that myself. Yes, there were a lot of men at conferences you would attend and you would see that, but it wasn't something that got in the way of my success. And so I'm really grateful to my female uh, mentors and managers that were able to guide me through my journey. Um, and then after, you know, joining Blue Palette, it's not something that I really faced. Yes, we are, you know, a marketplace specifically for the chemical industry, which is a male dominated industry. But I can tell you, you know, from my experience um, in this space and not really meeting that many customers in the chemical industry. Um, I have been shielded from that as well. And it's funny because a lot of the events or conferences I have attended, you have women in chemicals there. So I'm surrounded by women in the industry. I think I see more women in the industry than I do uh, like a normal individual in this space. So it's tough for me to do that comparison. Um, but I can tell you when I joined Blue Palette, um, and speaking bluntly, the leadership team at the time was six white males, and it was very stark. And I made a comment about it, I think, to our CEO. Um, and since then, there's been a lot of change. We have female board members. We have, you know, two females on the leadership team, including myself and my colleague, Lauren Conte, who's the head of marketing. So, you know, there's definitely a lot of importance placed on diversity and inclusion and inclusion of females. So 100% Blue Palette supports it. It's it's actually one of our core values, and, and they do really stand behind that. You made a comment about how you kind of took your observation to the CEO or, or the C-suite at Blue Palette um, once you observed kind of the demographics of the leadership team. Can you talk a little bit about how you came to be comfortable with that approach um, or, or kind of maybe it has to do with Blue Palette's you know, company culture, but I'd be curious to understand kind of your thought process and how you got confident in that approach. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact moment it came up. I think it was actually a meeting where we were looking at the core values. And one of the core values specifically is about we're all created equal and we all should have the same opinions across the board. And um, honestly, it probably is the, the relationship and the culture within the company. Scott Barrows, who you've met, I'm sure, and you've spoken with, he has a way of making you feel very comfortable. It's one of his, his natural um, characteristics as a CEO and as a person. So it wasn't difficult for me to say that. And I think the team also being a generally male team before females were introduced, it's very blunt that you can say anything. And I felt very confident to do that because that was the culture that was there. So when I raised it, I do remember being slightly nervous, but I knew that it was a topic that we were talking openly about. So it felt like I had a responsibility to say something, especially because I was observing it. And it was an opportunity for them to kind of, you know, put their money where their, their mouths are to be able to affect change. Um, so was I nervous? Yes. 
but they were almost asking for it. And it was like, Hey guys, like we believe in, you know, equal opportunity, but you're a leadership team of six white men. And that shows you could even see it on our webpage. It was like, "Mm, we might need to do something about that and comment on that because other people would do the same, honestly. Right. Right. And I think it speaks volumes to your kind of passion and commitment to the company for the future and retention and how they communicate their company culture or their mission and values outside to their customers and, and their relationships too. So I think that's really great. Uh, Amelia, do you have any comments to add questions? I mean, I think it's really great that you raised this. You mentioned you join in March of 2021. So a little like 18 or so months ago, Um, And in that time, they've made significant changes to have both you and Lauren join um, the leadership board or the leadership team um, and to add women to the board. So it's clear that they really took that feedback seriously and made Mm -hmm. changes immediately. And I think that's really inspiring. Um, I feel like a lot of times we get feedback that there aren't women that are prepared to take on these roles, or that's like the immediate pushback when you kind of shine a light on some of these disparities. Um, And specifically in some of these male dominated industries that the pipeline's not there for women in leadership roles, or women don't want those jobs. Um, So to see Blue Palette, you know, take the feedback that values were not necessarily aligning with what was actually happening in your organization and make immediate changes shows that there are women that want the jobs and are readily available and that we actually just need to push our leadership to actually make these changes. Yeah. And I do think it's, it's probably a little bit different too for startup culture, which, you know, Blue Palette is a startup and we're a smaller company. When I joined, I think I was employee 12. So I think it is easier to make those changes when you're a smaller startup versus, you know, working for a large corporate of, you know, upwards of like 10,000 or more people. Um, So that probably helped as well. Right. Absolutely. So speaking of Blue Palette and Blue Palette being a startup, can you tell our community a little bit more about what Blue Palette is and what they do um, and how your role exactly fits into the mixture of that? Yeah, so I was actually going to say when Amelia was introducing Blue Palette as a sponsor, she she did a really good job of introducing what Blue Palette was. Um, but I can cover it again broadly. So Blue Palette is an online marketplace um, and network platform that's focused specifically on the chemical industry. So our customers can include chemical manufacturers, distributors, and also end-use consumers of um, chemical products. So ultimately, we are a software platform, and you know the whole goal is to facilitate and streamline the procurement and the sale of chemical products um, between vetted companies. Um, so only thoroughly vetted companies can join the platform, and it really just kind of facilitates the ability for buyers and suppliers to expand their network outside of their usual network in the chemical space. You can search for product. um, And also it's truly end to end because we do have integrated logistics and integrated financial services or payment capabilities, which I like to call as like the fintech space. So my role specifically um, being, you know, director of product for fintech and blockchain is kind of influencing that vision and the execution of those fintech fintech specific capabilities. So that's primarily what I work on as part of the product team. 
That's awesome. So you talk a little bit about fintech. We haven't touched much on the blockchain aspect of it. So you mentioned kind of how you pivoted your career was taking a course that included educational material behind blockchain. So for those of us who are not as familiar as you, Rena, um, can you tell us a little bit about what blockchain technology really means? Yeah, of course. So blockchain technology, simply put, is just a system of recording information but it's done so in a way that makes it difficult or impossible to hack or change the information in that system. So the way that that is possible is just in the inherent nature of the technology and without getting too technical, and I will caveat to say I'm not a computer scientist, (laughs) um, it basically just involves something called cryptography, which is math and also computer code that makes information secure. And so I think the best way that, you know, people who are not familiar with it can think about it is it's a digital ledger of information or transactions that is shared amongst participants that are part of that network. And, and really the whole goal of being able to use blockchain and especially in, you know, an industry like the chemical industry is for, you know, people who are doing business with one another who don't necessarily know each other or trust one another. The blockchain allows you to share data in that shared ledger. And so it's completely transparent. It's completely tamper proof. And it's effectively, you know, increasing the efficiency of your business in one shared ledger of information. And I think we both know in the chemical industry and and specifically with international trade, there's so much flows of information in a lot of legacy systems. So being able to just have that one shared ledger really does make it easy to see that information for the specific parties um, and just to facilitate ease of doing business. You mentioned legacy systems and you mentioned blockchain and how the connectivity of companies that don't know each other, how that enables it. I'll speak to my experience in the industry is absolutely, yes, we work on legacy platforms that are very hard to change. Um, In your experience so far with Blue Palette, are you seeing more companies and maybe maybe you don't interact as much externally but if you benchmark externally outside of blue palette um wondering if more companies that you're aware of within the chemical industry specifically are starting to lean on blockchain or are we still are you guys at kind of the forefront of of that type of information Yeah, so the chemical industry um, is certainly involved with blockchain initiatives, and I would say more of the larger chemical producers or manufacturers. I think based on some of my research, one of the most known cases, and it's, it's publicized as well too in the last couple of years, BASF, who's one of the larger chemical producers, they participated in a couple of blockchain um, pilot projects. And one of them was partnering with, I think it's Avonic, another uh, specialty chemicals company. And they actually created uh, programmable money to be able to facilitate payments throughout the supply chain, which is really cool. And I think they did that like two years ago. Um, And you can read up on that if you're interested. But BASF is also leading the charge because here in Canada, um, I know their Canadian arm had done some work with tracing the recyclability of of plastics. Um, So I don't know how it is in the US, but recycling rates in Canada are pretty dismal. I think it's like 11% recovery rate or something like that. as the latest stats. So BASF actually 
did a pilot project using blockchain to be able to attach a digital ID to plastic products and trace it all throughout the system. So if you think of like a circular economy, if you have a manufactured product that has this digital ID, you can actually track it throughout the entire process going from manufacturer to consumer down to the material recoveries facility to the recycler and be able to help um, sort and use the plastics again in the process. So I thought that was huge. I don't know how it's improved the recycling rates um, for plastics, but it's just another example of, of how you can actually use blockchain um, to be able to do that. That's so cool. And that has my brain spinning. Amelia, I see you went off mute. I'll let you chat. I'm I just have so many questions about like the application. So I know obviously that there's like a payment application for blockchain, but like a tracking application I've never even thought about or considered. So was in BASF and Evonics use case, were they using it to pay each other for product? So in BASF's use case with Avonic, it would have been for paying each other for product. For the recycling piece with tracing, it's a different use case. So to your point, Amelia, the payment space is well known for using blockchain. And it's mm -hmm. one of the spaces that Blue Palette's exploring too. If you think about it um, and working in traditional finance, it's a very slow, fragmented process. And it could take quite a bit of time when you go cross-border. So what BASF did with programmable money just makes it easier to facilitate facilitate those transactions and it's instant on the blockchain versus having to wait to push payments through financial intermediaries. In terms of tracing product, that's a really cool space because, but it's also very difficult because if you attach an ID to a product, you have to be able to create the infrastructure and the ability to scan the IDs throughout the entire supply chain. So that means you have to get everyone involved in the supply chain to actually join the blockchain to understand the process, to be able to make it work. So it's a cool idea and it's definitely, you know, achievable to do, but it does involve a lot of cost and resource to do it. Um, and blockchain is powered by computer code. So, you know, people in the space that have to be knowledgeable in how to build it is another, um, you know, resource that is required. So it has great benefits, but, you know, realistically speaking, there is a lot of um, resource and costs associated with it too. Uh -huh. So, sorry, I have so many questions about this. This is so interesting. So what costs would be associated with like applying that into the supply chain? outside uh, of like the technologies to scan barcodes and stuff? Yeah, so it's twofold. It's obviously monetary cost. Um, I wouldn't be able to tell you the dollar value. I don't know. We could probably Google to see what BASF would have invested in that. It would be quite a bit of money. And I think over time, you would see the cost effectiveness the cost effectiveness of it, maybe not immediately. So it's okay. both just the actual infrastructure being able to connect to a lot of those legacy systems and have those mm -hmm. partners join that infrastructure, but then having people within internally the company who's managing the blockchain to be able to have the resources to understand how to work that process. So coupled with all of those different factors, it's hard to say exactly what the cost is. It just depends on what you know means they're trying to achieve using it. Okay. So this is like, sorry, to me, like the blockchain is like something like the cloud. It's like something that like exists to people in IT, but I have no idea what it actually really means. Um, so like, would the infrastructure be like purely computing power? 
So think of the blockchain as a database. It's basically a database. That's what it is. So when you think of the cloud, it's very similar. And computer, so computing power is one part of it. And I think you may be thinking of potentially the Bitcoin blockchain where it involves proof of work. And this is where Mm. it gets a little bit technical, but with the Bitcoin blockchain, which is a payments, peer-to-peer payments blockchain, in order to be able to create Bitcoin and to facilitate those transactions, there is mining power um, involved with that. But there are other types of blockchains that are more relevant for the chemical industry that wouldn't involve that necessarily with the mining component. So it just depends on the type of blockchain that a company would be interested in creating or establishing. In the case of the chemical industry, you would look at something that's more, it's called a permission blockchain, because you have control over what parties have access to that blockchain. Whereas if you think of a Bitcoin blockchain for payments, it's an open blockchain and anyone who has access to the internet can look and see all of the transactions that have taken place since the Bitcoin blockchain was created. So they're very different use cases. Okay, thank you. No worries. No, I think you're you're touching on a couple of <laughs> these remaining questions and bits and pieces here. And I think from a, so I sat in a supply chain capacity and I, I sat in the chemical space from a purchasing perspective of our supply chain here at 3M. I think about, like you said, although it's probably far reaching, time intensive, resource intensive, but this whole traceability aspect. So we talk about because of COVID and all of the resulting kind of what came after COVID that created this kind of global supply chain crisis is what Amelia and I kind of coined it as um, the ability to be able to trace the supply chain journey of your product or service um, from start to finish. And there, you know, tier two and tier three suppliers that provide inputs to those raw materials in the chemical industry um, would be something that would be terrific to be able to have for the products that we manufacture, right? Um, I know that that seems probably pretty extensive resource heavy for this blockchain, but you know, far into the future, maybe not that far, I could see that being an application in in blockchain. Does that sound right? Am I interpreting what you're saying right? Yeah, no, Kylie, you're on the right path. And it's it's being done today, but you're right. It's more of an ex- extensive scale and it probably will take time. And part of the research that we're doing at Blue Palette is to see you know, what partners are in this space today that can help to achieve this. But if you do, if you do go and do a little bit of your research yourself as well, supply chain visibility is one of the top use cases for blockchain. Yeah. Um, payments has always been at the forefront in the last few years, but supply chain visibility in light of COVID and everything that's happened is is garnering so much attention now. Um, and so we have met with various partners in the space.